All right, if you'll stand with me this morning and turn to the book of Matthew, we'll be in the last chapter, chapter 28, reading verses 16 through 20. Pastor Bruce starts his new series this morning called Not a Fan, But a Follower of Jesus. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find it on page 527, or 572, actually. Again, we're in uh, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful this morning that, Lord, you've chosen to use us to reach the world. And God, we just pray that we would not just be fans of you and your story and your word, but God, that we would be followers and doers of it. Lord, change our hearts and mold us to be more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we already said, we're beginning a, uh, a brand new series today, five-week series called Not a Fan. And I have borrowed the title of this series from a a book. It's actually a book title written by a pastor and author. His name is Kyle Eidelman. And uh, in fact, for those that are interested, uh, you can go to Amazon.com and purchase the book. That'd be the cheapest place to buy it. It's a great book. And so if you're a reader and interested, you can do that. And, uh, but I, the title of the book, it, it caught my attention uh, when it first came out. And I love this title. And so that's what we're going to title this series, Not a Fan, but fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to do is during this series, today and for the next four Sundays, is we're basically going to dive into God's Word, and we're going to discover what it means to live as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here this morning and you've ever wondered, man, what does it mean to live as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? then this series is just for you. And I'm glad you're here this morning. And if you're here as well, and you've never wondered what it means to live as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, let me tell you, this series is just for you too. So this series is for all of us. Amen? So I'm glad you're here. And my hope and prayer is that you will come back for the next four Sundays as we dive into this and we discover... Uh, for our church and for us, us as individuals, what it means to live, not as fans of Jesus Christ, but as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to begin, and as we do here, I want to give you the big idea of the series. I just want to throw it out there to you. Notice it coming up on the screen. It's in your notes. Those of you that want to, you're welcome to take notes, fill in the blanks. Uh, it's insert in your bulletin there. Here's the series' big idea. God does not call us to be or to make fans of Jesus Christ. Rather, God calls us to be and to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Now, immediately, I hope you're wondering in your mind, all right, what's the difference between a fan and a follower? Because that ought to be the natural question we're all asking ourselves. What's the difference between a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus? And that's what we're, we're going to discover in this whole series. Now, on the surface, it may seem 
that there are many, 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 many followers of Jesus Christ. But if they were to honestly define the relationship they have with Him, I'm not sure it would be accurate to necessarily describe them as followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, it seems to me that there is a more suitable word to describe these people. They are not necessarily followers of Jesus. They are what we would call fans of Jesus. So what is a fan of Jesus? What does that look like? Well, here's the most basic definition of fan in the dictionary. It's simply an enthusiastic admirer. That's a fan. An enthusiastic admirer. Now, we're familiar with this concept here in America especially. A fan is the guy, in fact, you know, notice the pictures on the screen here. A fan is the guy who goes to the football game in costume. He's all decked out. He's dressed out. His face is painted. Maybe he takes off his shirt, paints his body, whatever the case may be. He sits in the stands and he cheers for his team. He's got the signed jersey hanging up in his wall at home or in his office at work. Uh, He's probably got bumper stickers on the back of his car, the front of his car, on his window. You name it, he's got it. Why? He's a fan of his team. But a fan, well, they're never in the game, are they? Fans are never in the game. He never breaks a sweat making a play. He never takes a hard hit in the open field. Oh, he knows all about the players on the team. In fact, a fan, a loyal fan, a radical fan, can even tell you all about the stats of the players on the team. They know it inside and out. But he doesn't know the players. I mean, really know the players. Oh, he yells and he cheers, but nothing is really required of him. There's no sacrifice for he or she to make in practice. There's no sacrifice that's required of them in the offseason as well. Why? He's simply a fan, or she's a fan. And the truth is, after several losing seasons, what do most fans do? Yeah, they fade away. They jump off the fan wagon, and they begin finding a team that wins a little more often. I'm going to cheer for that team now. After all, a fan is simply an enthusiastic admirer. And I think Jesus has... Unfortunately, a lot of fans in the church today. When Jesus defines what kind of relationship he wants us to have with him, listen to me, enthusiastic admirer is not an option. My concern is that many people in church today, we we are cheering for Jesus, but do we have an interest in truly following Jesus? We call ourselves Christians, but we aren't really interested in following him. We want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything of us. Jesus understood this dichotomy. In fact, you go back into the Gospels and we find Jesus on his way to Jerusalem when a crowd gathers around him. In fact, the Bible says that great multitudes were all around him. These great multitudes in our day, in our context, we would call them fans. Great fans of Jesus were following him. And when Jesus saw the multitudes, or the fans, he turned and said to them, in essence, look, I'm not looking for more fans. I'm looking for more followers. After his death and resurrection, Jesus met with his 
his little band of disciples. You know the 12 disciples, except now they're missing one because he deserted, he abandoned, he betrayed Jesus. And so now there's 11 of them, and he meets with them, and he gives them the mission to make followers of Jesus Christ, not fans of Jesus Christ. And so from this small band of followers, Christianity, the faith that we now claim as a church here, would spread around the world, and these disciples began a mission that we are still part of fulfilling even today. Now, it's this mission that I want us to focus on this morning. This mission that Jesus gave these 11 disciples in which we are still a part of even today after 2,000 years. This mission is your, some of you are very familiar with. It's what is called the Great Commission. In fact, one of my fears, and I, I, and I, I seriously contemplated, do, I even, do we even talk about, do I even take us to this text of Scripture here? Because one of my fears is for some of us who've been in church for so many years is we are so familiar with this passage of Scripture, these verses here, this mission here, this great commission, that we're like, oh, okay, been there, done that. Doing that already. Tune out. That's my fear here. But again, don't let that happen. Because that's what fans do. All right? So even in our listening, don't be just a fan here this morning. Open your heart, open your mind, and ask God to show you with fresh eyes and a new heart what God has to say to us this morning about His mission for us as individuals, His mission for us as a church body here at Glenwood. That's what I want us to look at, what it means for us as a church, what it means for you as an individual, and can I say it this way, to get in the game of God's mission. Instead of just standing on the sidelines and cheering for Jesus and cheering for others who are in the mission already. So let's look at it. Three simple points I want to share with you. Number one, Jesus makes a lofty claim. He makes a lofty claim. Matthew 28, verse 16 tells us that the disciples went to a mountain in Galilee. As they were instructed... And it was there that they encountered Jesus. It was here on this mountain that Jesus makes a very lofty claim in verse 18 when he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, what is Jesus saying? And why, what he is saying, why is it so important? Well, this word authority, it's an interesting word, and it carries a wide range of meaning, which includes the ideas of power, right, freedom, and ability. In context here, and with Jesus is speaking this to his disciples back then, and to us now, it is best thought of as the idea to rule. You have authority, you have the right to rule. And the usage is more focused, if you notice this, if you caught it, on the scope of Jesus' authority when he declares, all authority has been given to me where? What's the scope of it? In heaven and on earth. That pretty much excludes nothing. That means he has the right to rule everywhere and anywhere. But don't miss the context in which Jesus makes such a lofty claim. Remember, what has Jesus just accomplished in his life? What has he just gone through? He just died on the cross for sin. And in dying on the cross for our sins, he triumphed over guilt and condemnation. He's just been raised from the dead in order to triumph over suffering and death. And in triumph 
triumphing over guilt and condemnation and suffering and death, Jesus has also triumphed over Satan himself, who can only destroy us, paralyze us, if you will, and, and kind of knock us down with the guilt of sin and the torment us with suffering and death. And because Jesus has triumphed so gloriously over guilt and condemnation and suffering and death in Satan, therefore, when you go to what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, listen to his words. It's amazing. God has highly exalted him. Who? Jesus Christ. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth. There's our language. There's our scope of his rule, if you will. And under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, when you ponder, just for a moment here, the universal authority of Jesus Christ, it's rather mind-boggling. Jesus has authority over Satan and all demons. Over all angels over the natural universe, such as the stars, the galaxies, and planets. Jesus has authority over all weather systems. You think of the winds, the rains, the lightning, the thunder, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, the typhoons, and life. Jesus has authority over it all. Jesus has authority over all molecular and atomic matter. He has authority over the atoms, the electrons, the protons, the neutrons, genetic structures, DNA, and chromosomes. Jesus has authority over all plants and animals, great and small. He has authority over all the parts and functions of the human body. Every beat of the heart, every breath of the diaphragm, he has authority over it all. He has authority over all nations and governments, congresses and legislators and presidents, and kings. He has authority over them as well. He has authority over all armies, over the navies, over all terrorist groups. He has authority over industry, business, finance, and currency. He has authority over all entertainment, amusement, arts, and media. He has authority over all education, research, science, and technology, and medicine, and you can go on and on. He has authority over all crime, and over all violence, over all families, over all neighborhoods, and the church, and over every soul that has been or ever will live on this earth. Jesus has authority over everything in heaven and on earth. And it's with that authority that he comes to these disciples. Listen to me. There is nothing in heaven and on earth over which Jesus does not have authority. This is the lofty claim that Jesus makes to us even today. This is what led... Abraham Kuyper, who was a Dutch politician, journalist, and theologian, to say, there is not one square inch on planet Earth over which the risen Christ does not declare mine. But here's the question. Have we offered us to Christ? You see, you want to know the difference? You want to know at the heart, the mark of a follower of Jesus Christ versus a fan of Jesus Christ? Christ has authority to rule in a follower's heart. He not only has the authority, but he is ruling in a follower's heart. 
And if we are here today sitting in our seats and we are holding back areas in our life in which Christ does not rule, does not reign, does not have authority, then can we really call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ? Listen, Paul has already reminded us that in Philippians 2, that there will be a day when every knee will bow to the authority and rule of Jesus Christ. We will either do it in this lifetime or we will do it in the next lifetime. But Jesus has the right, because it's been given to him by God the Father, to claim this authority, to claim the right to rule in our lives. Is he ruling in my life? Is he ruling in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, why is this so important for us as a church body? Why is this so important in relation to the mission that Jesus gives to his disciples and to us even today? What difference does his authority make? Notice this in your notes. Notice the impact of Jesus' universal authority. It means God's mission is unstoppable. His mission is unstoppable. I love this. Because we live in a world that worships what? It worships money and it worships power. In most parts of the world, money and power has its privileges. So how would those first disciples, put yourself in those shoes, how would they fare as they spread out from Jerusalem sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Those who went south would soon encounter the mighty pyramids of Egypt. They would see the sphinx rising from the sands. In Alexandria, they would encounter the greatest library of the ancient world. How would Jesus' followers fare against such learned sages of Alexandria? Those who went north would come to Antioch, another great seat of learning. Eventually, a man named Paul would arrive in Athens, which was the cultural seat of the ancient world. There, in the land of Socrates and Aristotle, he would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and call men to repentance. Eventually, the early Christians would come to Rome with this magnificent Colosseum in the grandeur of the Roman Empire who would dare proclaim Christ there. And in time, some would take the gospel into India and onto China. So how would the gospel message of Jesus Christ survive in such a context? It would survive because all power in heaven on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. Jesus said this would be the case. He told his disciples this earlier on in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when he makes this statement of declaration, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall what? Not prevail against it. What was Jesus saying? Listen, folks, Jesus is simply saying that God has a mission, and nothing is going to stand in the way of that mission. Nothing. In other words, the mission of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be a part of something that's unstoppable. Right? Because when we look around in this world, there's all kinds of things that are collapsing. They're stoppable. They're just, they don't last very long, you name it. But here is something that is unstoppable. And we have the authority of Jesus Christ. That's backing it up. 
the one who has authority in all heaven and on earth. He backs this up. And he is proving it. That this mission that he has called us to is unstoppable. That's the mission we're a part of as a church here at Glenwood. It's the mission that every church is a part of around the world. It's the mission that like Roger and Lynn Schmidt, who are missionaries in Mozambique, are a part of in that part of the country. It's unstoppable. Does that mean it's not hard? Oh, no, it's hard. Does that mean there's not suffering involved? Oh, no, there's suffering involved. Does that mean it will not cost us something? Oh, no, it will cost us everything. But it's unstoppable. Because it's backed by the authority of Jesus Christ. With all the authority of Jesus Christ as the foundation and the backdrop, Jesus now gives his disciples the mission that we as a church are still living out today. Look at it. Number two, Jesus gives a last command. A last command. The amazing thing about God's mission is that he uses the followers of his son to accomplish his mission. Let me say that again. The amazing thing about God's mission, and let me change the wording a little bit, is that he uses me, he uses you to accomplish that mission. You're like, whoa. Me? Yeah. He uses people. Now, why God chose to do that, I don't know, but he did. We get to be a part of his mission. He's given it to us. He's entrusted it to us. Therefore, Jesus gives his followers a last command in verses 19 and 20. It's familiar to a lot of us here today. Look at it one more time. When Jesus says, simply go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which is the Trinity, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now, this command, or what we're calling this mission, involves multiple elements, but one main thrust. And that's what I want us to focus on here. The center of the Great Commission is the phrase, make disciples. That's at the heart of the commission, or the mission. It's the only word or phrase that is a command And it's the main thrust of Jesus' words to us here today. All those other words, the word go that you see at the very beginning, the word baptizing, the word teaching. Listen, those words are also important, but they serve the primary command to do one thing, and one thing only. And that is what? Make disciples. Or to say it another way, to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's what this means for us as a church. It's simple. It means our church has one mission and one mission only, and that is to make disciples, or if you want to say it in your notes there, our mission is to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. Folks, listen to me. That and that alone is why we exist as a church today. That is our only mission as a church, to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, the word disciple there, you know what the word means? It has two ideas, follower and learner. We're learners, we're lifelong learners, and we're lifelong followers. 
And of course, who are we following? We're following the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. We're following the one who died for our sins on the cross and resurrected from the grave. We're following the one who sits now at the right hand of the Father and who we are waiting on to come and receive us as his bride, the church. So Jesus' command, it's rather simple, is to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. This is the mission of our church. But what does a fully devoted follower look like? Right? I mean, what does... What does it mean to be a fully devoted follower? What is a fully devoted follower? I mean, how would you know one if you ran and talked to one? If you saw one on the street, how would you know you were talking to a fully devoted follower? How do you know that you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus even now? Well, when you study the Gospels in the New Testament, you can summarize a follower of Jesus Christ with four simple words. And those words you see in their notes in that diagram is the word know, grow, show, and go. And as you see, followers of Jesus Christ, how we're defining it, how we're describing it for our church is this way. Followers of Jesus Christ, they know Christ, they grow in Christ, they show Christ, and they go with Christ. Now, in the weeks to come, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on each one of those four words. We're going to dive in and look what it means to know Christ. We're going to discover what it means to grow in Christ, what it means to show Christ as a fully devoted follower, and what it means to go with Christ. But for today, I just want to give you a brief overview of that. Fully devoted followers of Jesus, they know Christ through conversion, commitment, and celebration. And here's what I simply mean by that. Through conversion, that is salvation. They know Christ as their Lord and Savior. They're also committed. They know it through commitment. That is, they have identified with Jesus Christ through baptism and membership in a local church body. And celebration is just another way to say, man, I'm coming corporately with other believers to worship the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Simple to what it means to know Christ. Number two, grow in Christ simply means in God's word and spirit in community with other believers. This is why we have a discovery hour. At 9.30. And I'm so glad so many of you are coming to our Discovery Hour to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's why we have our grow groups. Which, by the way, if you haven't signed up in one of our grow groups, you can still sign up. It's not too late. We started our fall semester last Sunday night. You can still come and get connected and be a part of a grow group. It's why we have it. It's why we also offer what we call discipleship. One-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, one-on-three. It's just... It's just life on life, if you will, to help those to take the relationship to another level, to help them understand the basics of what it means to have a relationship and grow in that relationship. Number three, show Christ. How? How do I show Christ? By loving and serving people in the church and the community. And so right away, man, we want everybody to get on a ministry team, serve in the church, but not just in the church, you serve in the community. And it's not just our church's community. It's where you live, where you work, where you play. It's the world in which God has put you. Show Christ. And then number four, go with Christ. And when I go with him, what am I doing? I'm going with Christ to share the gospel with those who don't yet know Christ. And I do that locally and globally. 
around the world. Now, if you're wondering what's the difference between a fan and a follower of Jesus Christ, this is it right here. Followers of Jesus know Christ. Followers of Jesus grow in Christ. Followers of Jesus show Christ. Followers of Jesus grow with Christ. Fans, what do fans do? Fans simply sit and watch the game as an enthusiastic admirer. But followers of Jesus get in the game as a fully devoted follower. Followers of Jesus participate in the mission. They know Christ. They're growing in Christ. They show Christ and they go with Christ in order to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. This means as a church, we must go, yes, to all the nations. And that word nations simply means people groups. So we must go to all the people groups and share the gospel with those who don't yet know Jesus Christ. Listen, we have a responsibility to do this right here in Kansas City North, and in our community and beyond, it stretches out all the way around the world. As someone said, the first work of the whole church is to give the gospel to the whole world. This is not, there is not a nation, there's not a culture, there's not a people group where Jesus does not have the right to be worshipped as Lord. Remember, Jesus has authority to be king and Lord and Savior everywhere to everyone. This is the reason Jesus commands us to make followers in all the peoples of the world, both locally here in Kansas City and beyond, and globally around the world. So our mission as a church body is to go with Christ and share the gospel so more people will know Christ as their Lord and Savior. But we must also baptize people. We must baptize people who already know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and teach them to follow Jesus and to obey all that Jesus commanded. So our mission is to help those who already know Christ, what we would call believers in Jesus Christ, and to help them grow in their relationship, help them to show Christ, and to help them to go with Christ and repeat the process all over. I hope you're seeing the picture that Jesus gives us here about our mission. Why we exist as a church. In fact, I hope you're seeing the full circle of our mission. And that's why we diagrammed it in a circle, because it's never-ending. We repeat the process. And you never stop knowing Christ. You never stop growing in Christ. You never stop showing Christ. You never stop going with Christ. We do all four of these things for the rest of our life as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. This means that every follower of Jesus Christ has a gospel-sharing, disciple-making, Christ-centered mission in life. But is this your mission? Christ has given it to us as our mission. We are the church it's our mission as a church, but it's also our mission as individuals. So as a follower, as if you claim to be a follower, do you also claim this mission as your mission in life? What is your life about? And, and don't say, well, my life is about working. My life is about, well, I get up tomorrow morning, I go to work and make a living, make money so that I can provide for my family. If that's what your life is about, I feel sorry for you. Yes, we need to do that. 
But listen, God has given us something that transcends and will last for far more eternal than just that. This is a mission that makes a difference in the lives of people for all eternity. It's the mission that followers of Jesus Christ embrace, they claim, they live out. And if you really understand the gospel, and if you really understand the mission Jesus is giving us, and if you really understand the culture we live in, then you know why we need what Jesus says next. Number three, Jesus ends with loving comfort. He ends with loving comfort. Look what Jesus says at the end of verse 20. He says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Reminds me of two milk cows who were eating grass when a milk truck drove by. And the sign on the truck said, simply fresh milk, homogenized, pasteurized, fortified, low-fat, vitamin-enriched. And after reading the descriptions, one cow said to the other, kind of makes you feel inadequate, does it? Now, can you imagine just for a moment how inadequate these 11 disciples must have felt when they heard this command to make disciples of all people groups? I'm sure they were taken back. I'm sure they were overwhelmed. I'm sure their first thought was, what? How? You've got to be kidding me, Jesus. So no wonder Jesus gives us the promise of his presence. Listen, he knows what we're like. He knows we are weak. He knows we are prone to fears and doubts. In fact, if we're honest, if I'm honest, here's our present reality. Here's even my present reality at times in my life. Notice it. Like the first disciples, some doubt Jesus. Even on the mountain in Galilee, there were some disciples who were doubting Jesus, according to verse 17. Now, we rarely talk about this verse, but it sets the scene for the mission that Jesus gave his disciples. Having risen from the dead, Jesus now meets with his disciples on a mountain in Galilee. And these 11 men are the closest friends Jesus has on earth. Let me tell you, for three years they have followed Jesus through thick and thin. And now Jesus is about to leave them and commission them with the greatest mission on earth. Think about it. Jesus starts with 11 men to reach the world. 11 men to make disciples of all peoples of the world. And on the surface, it doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? What kind of odds would you give these 11 dudes? I mean, if you were Vegas at that time, what would be the odds of them succeeding? In fact, it sounds downright impossible. So no wonder some of the disciples doubted. And yes, they were doubting that this was even Jesus. Is that him? Is he truly resurrected? Is that him in the flesh? And I'm sure they're doubting after they hear this commission as well. Is this possible? That was the stark reality for them on the mountain in Galilee. And maybe this morning, that is your stark reality today 
here in Kansas City. Perhaps, if you're honest, you would have to confess, man, my heart is full of doubts and fears about following Jesus. My heart is full of doubts and fears about embracing his mission for my life. Setting aside my passion, my dreams, if you will, my plans for my life in order to let Christ rule in my life and to embrace his mission at all costs. Who doesn't have doubts and fears about that? Maybe you have doubts about what it will cost you to follow Christ. Maybe you have fears about what your family and friends will say if you follow Jesus, or how they will treat you if you follow Jesus. Maybe you have doubts even about yourself. Jesus, would you really use me? I'm not good enough. How could you use me? I don't, I don't have what it takes to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus and to get in the game, if you will. Listen to me. Whatever your doubts and fears may be, Jesus says to you plainly, And he says it loud and clear, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. The promise here is that Jesus will be with us always. This is a promise of the ongoing presence of the Son of God with his people. In other words, wherever you go, no matter how far you go, to the very end of this age. And then later on, Jesus added another promise to these disciples over in the book of Acts 1.8 when he says, but you will receive what? Power. The Holy Spirit's power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now, this is huge. Because Jesus is basically saying, don't worry. I'll be there with you. And the implication of this is not just something out in the future. It's not a future hope. It's a present reality. Yes, my stark reality is I have doubts and fears about following Jesus as fully devoted. I have doubts and fears about making his mission my mission. This is my stark reality. But you come over here and Jesus now gives you his present reality. And that is the promise of his presence and his power. And it's not future, it is present today. It's ongoing. It's forever until the end of the age. So what do you think holds up more? My doubts, my fears, versus Jesus' presence and his power. Let's see, let's weigh that in the skip balance. It's not to diminish your doubts and fears. It's not to trivialize your doubts and fears. It's not to say that they're not real. But Jesus comes along and he says, listen, I, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, I am with you. I give my power to you to overcome whatever doubts and fears you may have about fully following me. Whoa. So in context, perhaps this is how we should read what Jesus said in Matthew 28. Perhaps we should read it in this order. Number one, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Number two, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
And now number three, Jesus says, get in the game and make fully devoted followers of all the nations. Now, we tend to focus on which of those three? Yeah, number three, the third part, making followers. But the making followers part is totally impossible without number one and number two. And I am... I admit to you, there's no doubt, living as a fully devoted follower of Jesus in this world can cause doubts and fears. And so Jesus tells us, we learn it in the gospel, he tells us to count the cost before following him. He warns us that following him could even divide families. He warns us that following him may involve suffering. He even tells us that we must deny ourselves and we must take up a cross if we want to follow him. Perhaps this is why most people are fans of Jesus instead of fully devoted followers of Jesus. It's definitely safer to be a fan. It's definitely more convenient to be a fan. It costs you nothing, and it requires no suffering on your part to be a fan. If it's cold and rainy... I could stay inside and watch the game on TV. But folks, listen to me. It is a shallow, empty, temporary way of life that misses out on the abundant life that Jesus offers his followers. I want to close and leave you with the words of Jesus himself in Mark chapter 8, 35 to 38. Listen to what he says. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Let's pray. Listen, I'm not going to assume for one moment where you are in this message. I'm not going to assume that you're a fan or you're a follower. That is for you to decide in the presence of God. You know your heart. My prayer is that you will open up your heart to God and you will ask him to search you and reveal to you what does my life really reveal about what I am? Am I a fan or a follower? I want to encourage you to get in the game and say yes to Jesus. And you see two two boxes there. And the first one says, I want to be a follower of Jesus, not just a fan of Jesus. Man, if that's your heart's desire, I'm so excited for you. And the first step to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ is to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and then begin growing in him. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, listen, today can be the day. Run to the cross. Humbly confess your sin before Christ believing on him that he died for your sins on the cross and he rose again. Ask him to forgive you. Put your faith and trust in him. Express that faith and trust in prayer. Ask him to save you. 
and he will. The first step to being a follower is to know him. But there's another blank there. It says, I want to learn more about living as a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And if that's your heart's desire, I want to encourage you to come back these next four Sundays as we discover what it means to live as a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Lord, we come to you today, and I pray and ask that you would speak to us even by your spirit now. You would show us our faults. You would show us our fears. We would confess them before you. And Lord, we would trust you. We would depend on your presence and your power to live as a fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, give us the grace to live out this mission, to accomplish it, to be passionate about it as a church body and as individuals. And so, Lord, we come ready to respond, ready to rededicate ourselves to you and your mission. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. The praise team's going to sing, and that's what I'm asking you to do is to respond. You can come to this altar, you can stay where you're seated, but I'm asking you, just respond, rededicate your life. Pray to God, ask him, God, man, I, I, I've been a little weak in this. I, it's, I, I'm not there yet. I want to grow in this. I need to make your mission my mission, whatever the case may be.